0: Well, Israel's history was dark and wayward. Uh, we know that. If you know your Bible at all, if you read from Genesis through the end of the Old Testament, you know that the people of God were wayward. They were off course. They were off track, off the path, whatever sort of adjectives you want to use to explain. They were often in a place where they were not following after the Lord. And it was because of what Nathan Just read over and over, they had this thought in their mind, at least practically speaking, they had this thought in their mind that their way that they were living was higher than God's way, and that their thoughts that they were having were higher than God's thoughts. And that's why Isaiah at the end of that text is saying, You have to realize that God's ways are higher than yours because you guys have been living. Counter to that. And so that was the the history of the people of Israel, and that was the history of the, the Gentile people that are invited into the faith that we see so clearly in the New Testament as the church of Acts continues to grow. And then as we think about our own lives right now, we're in the same spot, right? We have this ongoing tension in our life that we feel because we read God's word, we understand God's word, but then so often we too believe that our ways are higher than the Lord's. And as we go about doing that, we then find ourselves, not just Israel, in wayward places. And so if you're a Christian in here, uh, just want to spend uh, a, the next few minutes having a little bit of a uh, mental exercise, jogging your memory a bit. And so when we think about our walk with Jesus, there's three phases that we can consider. We can think about the origin of our faith. That's the, the place where you began to have understanding that Jesus is Lord. And there was uh, a confessing of your sins, and acknowledgement of your waywardness, before the lord and and because of that origin of faith you then are sent onward into the christian life. And so as we receive Jesus, we are gifted with the holy spirit in our lives to live out the christian life that Jesus calls us to, right? And so as you've been living your Christian life. There's uh, seasons that you have had that have been very vibrant and flourishing. Likely, if you're a believer, there's been some flourishing seasons where you're in the Word of God often. Maybe you're memorizing Scripture. You're sharing the love of Christ with people around you, maybe in the workplace. Maybe during that season as well, there's uh, just a lot of personal growth because you're letting the Holy Spirit do some work on your life, and there's some ways that you're living that you're starting to understand. Because you're in God's Word, you're starting to understand that you're doing your uh, own life your way. And so there's sanctification that happens during those flourishing seasons, and your relationship with the Lord feels full and vibrant and healthy because you're meeting with Him. And so there's a point of origin, there's places where you're flourishing in your walk, maybe you're in that place right now, maybe that place for you was 15 years ago, and you're still riding off the high of that mission trip that you went on, Uh, maybe that's where uh, the the high point of your faith has been. And then there's also been wayward seasons, those are the, the seasons that we don't like to think about or talk about, but those are the places where we, like Israel, have really gone off track. And maybe we've decided to no longer be reading God's Word, or maybe it's more so been some dualistic living, where it's like, yep, I'm in the Word of God, I'm reading it, I'm getting that quiet time in that they talked about on Sunday. But then when it comes to living your life, the decisions that you're making aren't true to what God is calling you to. And because of that, there's a sense of guilt that you have when you come to church. There's a sense of guilt that you have when you interact with other believers, because you know the decisions that you're making are counter to what God's word has said. And functionally, for you, in, in that wayward season, back in that wayward season, what was happening was you were believing that your way was higher than the Lord's, because that's what we do. At times, And so this morning, no matter where you're at in, in that progression, if you're a believer, if you've just come to faith a couple of weeks ago, if you are flourishing right now and you're like, man, I'm an oak tree and there is so much fruit that is being born from this tree. Maybe you're in that spot or maybe you're in a place where it's like, actually, if I was honest with myself, I'm in a pretty wayward season, off track, kind of just figuring out life on my own. No matter where you're at, in Isaiah 55, uh, the passage that we just read through, we're going to see that we have a compassionate love in God, that no, no matter if we are making decisions that are so counter to God's word, we're going to see in this text that God, with love, is welcoming us back to him. And so this morning, the topic is simply the compassionate love of God. And so I'm going to pray for us, and we will walk through the passage with one another. And So God, uh, we just thank you that we can be in here, that we can be understanding truths from your word more, that we can sing with one another, God. And uh, yeah, I pray that uh, we would be able to just focus in on these nine verses uh, so that we could be shaped to be more like you, uh, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll go ahead and turn to Isaiah 55 if you aren't already there. Um, That's where we're going to be for most of the morning Um, As you guys are turning there, I'll do a little contextual work. Basically, we're 55 chapters into uh, a book that was written by this prophet named Isaiah. Isaiah was a guy who was pretty much an unwelcomed news anchor to the people of Judah. The people of Judah had been off track, off course, for a while now. And Isaiah was the messenger, the prophet from God, that God said, hey, I need you to go communicate to this people. And here's the thing, they're not going to want to listen. And so he's this unwelcome news anchor. And so if you're uh, a staunch liberal, it's almost as like God's just sent Fox News in front of you. Or if you're a staunch conservative, it's like, oh, yeah, CNN. And it's like, we don't want to hear from the other side. That's who the people of Judah are. They're like, we don't want to listen to Isaiah because he has words that we don't want to hear. And so he's this unwelcome communicating some truths. And uh, the, the direction that we're going this morning, we're going to kind of, kind of go through three different portions of the text. It'll be up on the screen. Part one, we're looking at the height of God's love. Part two, the depths of our darkness, the depths of humanity's darkness. And then part three, an undeserved invitation. And so with that in mind, let's go ahead and reread those first three verses as we read about the height of God's love. Isaiah 55, verse 1, it says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk, without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me. Eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live." And I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. What Isaiah is exposing here in the first three verses is kind of like a geographical analogy that would have been helpful for them at this time. So this region of the world that they're living in, pretty dry, pretty arid, pretty hot. And so during that time they often, as they're traveling from point A to point B, they don't have A.C. in their homes. They don't have A.C. in their cars. They don't have cars. It's a very hot place. And because of that, Isaiah's laying out some language that would have been very helpful and fruitful for them. And so what is he saying? He's saying, come, everyone who thirsts. And they're like, oh, yeah, we get that. Like, we are thirsty. Come, everyone who hungers. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. And so what Isaiah is exposing here is different characteristics of God throughout this passage. And the first one that we see is God is a loving provider. Even though the the people of Judah had been wandering away from the Lord, they had been filling their lives with things that don't satisfy. Isaiah, this unwelcomed prophet, is, is saying, let me remind you that there is someone who can satisfy your thirst. Let me remind you that there's someone who can satisfy your hunger. Let me remind you that there's someone who you can delight in because there is rich food that they have to offer. And he's saying that is the Lord. And for Judah, they were in a place where they had either been drinking from spoiled waters or they had broken cisterns, meaning they had something where they would fill up their walk with the Lord in But then because the cisterns were broken and cracked, that would not satisfy. And they just turned to something else and their emptiness in their life was because of their rejection of God. And so Judah was in a place where they were drinking from spoiled waters and broken cisterns. And Isaiah says, listen diligently, verse two, listen diligently to God, incline your ear. Why? In verse three, what does it say? It says, I'm gonna make your soul come alive. I'm gonna give you life I'm going to help you out. You're you're thirsty. You're hungering. I'm here. I'm your loving provider. And so Isaiah exposes God right here in the first three verses as a loving provider for the people of Judah. This is something that they've heard before, but he's reminding them because they had become wayward in their living. And so from there, we see a second characteristic at the second portion of verse three, where he also exposes God not only as a loving provider, but also as a loving bridegroom. In verse three, at the end of it, it says, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. The implications of this were monumental because the people at this point would be hearing, okay, like we're, we're understanding that right now we are thirsty, we're hungering. And all right, Isaiah, you're, you're saying some things about how we can find satisfaction amidst that hunger, amidst that thirst in the Lord. And so they're clearly getting, okay, we have this creator God who's providing us with something. That's something that they could put their hope in. But he doesn't stop there. He says, I don't just want to provide something for you. I also want you. I'm not just about being a provider, but I'm also to be in relationship with you. That is my hope and my desire. God is saying through Isaiah there. And so the implications were huge. And it was not because Judah was a great people, but because God was compassionate. That was his heart in the matter. He did not just want to provide things, but he wanted to keep relationship with his people, even though they had broken that relationship with him. And so we can understand more of this covenant uh, more clearly in Deuteronomy 29, uh, as Moses is interacting with the people of God at that point in uh, their history. And so in Deuteronomy 29, 10 to 13, it says, you are standing today, all of you, before the Lord, your God, so that you may enter into the sworn covenant of the Lord, your God, which the Lord your God is making with you today. And so here's what it is. Here's the covenant that he may establish you today as his people and that he may be your God as he promised you and as he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And so what's the height of God's love? If we're talking about the compassionate love of God, what's the height of God's love? It's heavenly marriage. He has welcomed us to be in relationship with him. He's not only a loving provider, he's not just this genie in a bottle who who provides things for us. He's a loving and intimate creator who wants to be in an eternal covenant with his people. And so for the people of Judah hearing this from Isaiah, again, they're being reminded, okay, this is the same loving God who's given us this covenant from the time of Abraham. And with Abraham, he had said, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. Genesis 12, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless your family. I'm going to give you a land. You're going to be a people, and you're going to make my name known to many nations. And the love that I have for you is going to be a light to other people so that they would be able to experience a compassionate love from me as well. And so he doesn't only give them love and blessing so that they could own that, but so that they could share that. And so the height of God's love is heavenly marriage. And that was an unimaginable reality. And they were getting a a new last name, not only from a perfect provider, but from a perfect bridegroom. The creator of everything had said, I want to be in relationship with you, had looked down upon his people and says, you are gonna be my people and I am going to be your God. And that was the invitation from the Lord to be in that heavenly marriage with him. But what did the people of Judah do? What do we often do? Let's look at verse two, the depths of our darkness. What do we do? We spend our money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. We cheapen the covenant relationship that God has invited us into like the the prodigal son in the New Testament, even though we know that this amazing deal is laid in front of us where the compassionate, loving, eternal creator is saying, I want to be in relationship with you. I'm gonna provide for you. Even though that's been the case, so often the human response, the response of the people of Judah is to cheapen that covenant, to spend money on that which isn't bread, to spend efforts on that which doesn't satisfy. And at the same time in verse three where Sorry, at the end of verse 2, where it's saying, listen diligently to me, eat what is good, delight yourselves in rich food. What that's inferring is the people of God were not listening diligently to him. They were not eating that which was good, and they were delighting themselves in that which was not rich, but that which would ruin them. And so there's this reminder from Isaiah to Judah to not cheapen the covenant that they were welcomed into. We look at verses 8 and 9. That's where it talks about how God's thoughts are not our thoughts and our ways are not his ways. And in there, again, this people at that time had dethroned the Lord of all in their own hearts and in their own lives with the own moments that they had each given day, and they were making themselves Lord. Brandon hit on that a couple of weeks ago. We're really good at making ourselves king rather than trusting Christ as a king, rather than trusting the father of all as king. And so we dethrone God. And so in plain English, what Judah was doing, they they were either in a place where they were dating God, not trying to be in some covenant relationship with you, Lord, but I'm just going to date you, or they were ditching him altogether. Right? And that makes sense, doesn't it? Like they they would prefer to just meet with the Lord every so often when they needed him. Just when I need a drink, I'm going to go to you, Lord, And had this dating mindset where it's like, yep, I'm going to pick you up when I want to. And I'm going to set you down when I want to. I don't want this eternal bond. I don't want this bound relationship with you, God. I'd rather just prefer to have you when I want you and to put you to the side when I do not want you. And that was the trend that the people of Israel and the people of Judah were finding themselves in. They cheapened their intimacy with God and partook of the other gods around them. And that was made almost uncomfortably clear uh, in chapter 57. So we're gonna read through 10 verses kind of with this covenant in mind. We're gonna read about how the people of Judah were committing adultery against God. With their actions, they were committing adultery against God, and so in 57, starting in verse three, it gets graphic, but it's what we do when we turn our back on God. It says, but you draw near, sons of the sorceress, offspring of the adulterer and the loose woman. "'Whom are you mocking? "'Against whom do you open your mouth wide "'and stick out your tongue? "'Are you not children of transgression, "'the offspring of deceit? "'You who burn with lust among the oaks "'and under every green tree, "'who slaughter your children in the valleys, "'under the clefts of the rock. "'Among the smooth stones of the valley is your portion. "'They, they are your lot. "'To them you have poured out a drink offering. "'You have brought a grain offering. "'Shall I resent for these things?' On a high and lofty mountain, you have set your bed, and there you have went up to offer sacrifice. Behind the door and the doorpost, you have set up your memorial. For deserting me, you have uncovered your bed, you have gone up to it, you have made it wide, you have made a covenant for yourself with them. You have loved their bed, you have looked on their nakedness, you journeyed to the king with oil and multiplied your perfumes. You sent your envoys far off, and you sent down even to Sheol. You were wearied with the length of your way, but you did not say it is hopeless. You found new life for your strength, and so you were not faint. Whom did you dread and fear so that you lied and did not remember me, did not lay it to heart? Have I not held my peace even for a long time, and you do not fear me? I will declare your righteousness and your deeds, but they will not profit you. When you cry out, let your collection of idols deliver you. The wind will carry them all off a breath will take them away. But he who takes refuge in me shall possess the land and shall inherit my holy mountain. In verse eight there, he reveals that Judah had deserted God. They had by default kind of exited the covenant relationship that they were in with the Lord to be his people, to be a light to all nations. They had exited that and they had gone up to every high hill kind of representing going to different mountaintops, different belief systems, different gods that they could find in the heavens. They would go to every high hill and they would be vulnerable with those other belief systems and they would let those other belief systems show them who they were and they were beginning to put their hope in these other idols. And it was giving them new strength is what it says here. It's like you're finding new strength, but what does God say kind of sarcastically at the end of that? He's saying, yeah, and where you think you're going to have new strength here in these idols, those are actually going to be as easily blown away as the wind blows anything in life. So he's, he's exposing you guys are committing adultery against God. You're revealing yourself to other lovers. What have you done? Isaiah is bringing that to light. And that's the depth of our darkness and the crux of our problem too. We cheat on God. Right? Like we, we understand the height of God's love. Heavenly marriage, okay, we get to be in an uh, ongoing covenant relationship with God, but then the depths of our darkness, we cheat on God. Over and over, we let something else trump the love of our heart. And rather than being guided by the Lord, we let another belief system or we let our own weary hearts guide us into the lives that we want to live. And so we either treat our covenant relationship with God as a dating relationship, or we ditch Him altogether as half-hearted people towards Him, towards His Word, and towards His people. And so the people of Judah were finding themselves in that place. And that's what happens when we as believers... Have wayward seasons. When we're in a wayward season, we're not just kind of going a different direction. As we go into wayward seasons, the imagery that's happening is we're committing adultery against God because we're saying, okay, yeah, I was in this, co- this will represent the Lord. I'm in this covenant relationship with Him, but for a while, I'm actually going to go and enter life as I would prefer to, and I'm going to do what I want. And we're tempted to do that over and over. I'm tempted to do that over and over with so many different things. We all have kind of different core values in our life. Some of us really value the idea of success. I know for me, I struggle often with this God or lover of completion where it's like, man, I wake up and my wife could affirm this. Like I wake up in the morning and i just want there to be like a 15 point to do list and i want to do that heartily before the lord but even in doing that i'm willing to sacrifice my relationship with god i'm willing to sacrifice loving my wife well i'm in a place where I'm like, yeah, I, I know I probably should be doing this or I, I want to be doing this, but then I have this list and I serve the God of completion so often where I get so invested in what I want to get done that I miss out on this relationship with the Lord that he's called me into. And then sometimes I look back, you know, if I'm to, to rate myself over the course of a week, sometimes I look back and I'm like, yeah, I was communing with the Lord for 15 minutes, you know, four days. woo, Like, yes. And then the rest of the time, who was I communing with? Sometimes God-honoring conversations, other times hobbies of Nick Serene. And so as we're doing that, I think a lot of times we give ourselves grace too easily and think, well, you know, it's just it's kind of what happens. We, we get distracted or something else gets in the way. But as we're doing that, what, what Scripture is saying is that we're committing adultery with God and doing that because we're jumping into bed with someone else. And we're like, whoa, that's heavy. And that's why Isaiah was this unwelcomed news anchor because they didn't want to hear it. They wanted to be doing what they wanted. But instead, Isaiah's like, can I just lay some things out for you? You guys have been wayward. You've been wandering. You've been living for yourselves and not for the king. And we do that now. We exchange the great commission for the American dream. We skip out on sharing the gospel. We skip out on maturing. We skip out on making disciples. We love others only when we know we're getting something back. We exchange this idea of generosity into just giving enough so that we don't feel guilty. We love God's word only to the extent that we believe it's true. But when it comes to applying it to our life, we cut and paste what we like. And then instead of making God's word our daily reader, we make social media and the news our lifeline. And in doing that, we're well on our way to committing adultery against the Lord. And so that is why Isaiah was not a person that they wanted to hear. But he doesn't stop with that. And and that's our hope as well. What do we see? We see compassion from God. Let's read the the last three verses, starting in verse 6. It says, "...seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near." Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and have him do what? This is it. This is it. This is it right here. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. There is an undeserved invitation of compassion where even though the people of Judah have been wandering far, seeking out other gods, satisfying their own values and desires, there's still this message, sorry, from the unwelcome prophet who's saying, hey, the Lord is calling you back even though you've been wandering. He has compassion for you. He loves you and he's welcoming you home. Like, listen to that language. Seek me while I may be found. Return to me. Have my compassion. Be pardoned. Meaning like, I'm taking this punishment for you. I'm forgiving the actions that you did yesterday. I'm forgiving the actions that maybe you, you started today. Experience my compassion. Come to me, learn of my ways and my thoughts. And that's what the book of Isaiah is all about. It's an undeserved invitation for them to come home, even though they had gone far. And even though they had made covenant with other lovers. And so how is this undeserved invitation even possible? It's because of God's eternal covenant. A covenant is far richer and far deeper than a contract. A contract tends to be a business relationship. A contract tends to be something where it's like, well, well there's these terms that you have to follow, and if you don't follow them, then, then we're through. But a covenant is a relationship that's bonded, bonded in blood. And so the covenant reality that Isaiah was reminding Judah of was an unconditional relationship with God that said that even if Judah walked to another lover, God would welcome Judah home. An undeserved but a real invitation from God to them. In Genesis 15, it does an incredible job of laying out what a covenant looks like. And so during that time in history, when people would make covenant with one another, oftentimes there would be a symbol. And so as they will say, person A wants to have some sort of deal with person B, this covenant relationship would begin as they were doing so to symbolize the serious nature of it. They would make a sacrifice of some animals They would cut them in half, they would burn them, and put one pile here and one pile there. And in order to symbolize that relationship, what they would do, walk hand in hand through those carcasses that were cut up, they would walk hand in hand through the middle, and they would cut a covenant with one another. Meaning that if one of those individuals broke the covenant terms they more or less were saying that this is what ought to happen to me. I ought to be sawn in two and burned for breaking this covenant, this eternal thing. And so in Genesis 15, what we see is this happening between God and Abraham. Abraham's in a moment of fear, like he's heard from God already, Genesis 12, like, all right, we're gonna be blessed. It's gonna be a great nation, awesome. We have an awesome name and we're gonna go be a light to other nations and we get a promised land. In and, and Genesis 15, he's like kind of leery of like, when are we gonna get this promised land? Where's it gonna be? How are we gonna be sure that we get this? And God says, oh, let me show you Abraham. And so he puts Abraham to sleep and as Abraham is sleeping, a covenant is being made and is symbolized, where these animals are cut into, the path is made, some of the animal to the right, some of the animal to the left. And God walks through the center in Genesis 15. And as he's doing that, he's symbolizing that if God breaks the covenant, he's going to saw himself in two for the terms of the covenant. And because Abraham wasn't with him, God was also saying, Abraham, if you break this covenant, I will still be sawn in two because I love you. And then Abraham wakes up. The covenant's been made. And that's the same covenant that the people of Judah were able to experience. Even though they had wandered far, God was saying through the words of Isaiah, Isaiah, hey, you remember that covenant? You, you remember how I walked through the center of those animals for you? Representing my unconditional love for you that even if you are nine million miles away from me, I'm still gonna call you mine. You remember that, Judah? And so he lays that out. And, and Judah, even though they had committed adultery against God, he's welcoming them back home. And that's what Jesus has done for us as well, right? What happened in Genesis 15 was signaling what would later happen in Christ coming. Christ coming to earth so that we could live. Sawn in two, bloodied, beaten, taking the punishment of our sin, but then resurrected, representing how we also can live. Tim Keller does a, a great job of explaining the unique and mysterious nature of a covenant it says, a covenant is a stunning blend of law and love because it's a personal relationship made more loving and intimate because it's legal. In modern society, relationships more and more look like this. Two people look at each other and they say, I will be what I should be as long as you are what you should be. But if you're not, then I'm out. But in a covenant, two people look at each other and say, I will be what I should be, whether you are being what you should be, Or not, And that is the compassionate love of God, that even though we have not been who we ought to have been as his people, he's looking us in the eyes with grace, with compassion and saying, I still am your loving father. And even more, I'm not just your loving father. I am an eternal bridegroom who's giving you the fullest life you could know on earth through an intimate relationship with me. And who's giving you this promise of glory that is with me as well. And those are the words that are so meaningful in Deuteronomy and in Hebrews where it says, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. That's what it's talking about. It's talking about the compassionate love of God. And so I think as we kind of begin to land the plane here, if you're in a spot where it's like the idea of committing adultery and comparing that to our sins against the Lord doesn't really work for me because either I haven't seen adultery happen around me or I just I don't connect with it here is something that I thought would maybe be helpful and so you can do this with me if you like or you can just watch but by default what happens when adultery is beginning it would be as if when I'm at home I'm saying oh yeah love my spouse Love my family. I care for them deeply. This is the place where I just want to help them know, love, and obey Jesus more and more. This is the place that brings life. And it's to wear that with joy and a smile and confidence at home. But then as you're leaving, to remove that, maybe leave it in the car, maybe put it in the pocket and go out and start to dabble with other people. The mess that that starts to arouse in our hearts helps us understand that that is the same thing that we do with God. We come here on a Sunday morning and we got it on and we're thankful for it and we love this relationship that we're in and we're singing with one another or we're at least watching other people sing and we're, you know, enjoying the the moments with the worship and we're opening up God's word and we're getting filled and we love the relationship and it's it's really important to me and then the second we get out of here so often we just take this off proverbially speaking, and then we just go into our work week, and we act like this covenant isn't a reality that is bringing us life, but we act like this is doom and gloom, and it's like, yep, once church, got that done, and then, you know, I went and did, there's 168 hours in the week, and the other 166 hours were all for me, and that's our temptation over and over, we find ourselves in places where we're committing adultery against God because we cheapen the covenant that we've been welcomed into. And in doing so, we wear our ring on Sunday and do what we want the rest of the time. And what's the compassionate love of God? It says that even if we've been doing that, I'm still calling you home. What's the invitation? I'm calling you home. I'm saying, yeah, I know, I know you've been living like that. But even so, because I love you, come back and come home and, and we're gonna keep this relationship going. That's the unconditional love of God. And so maybe you're in a spot right now where you and the Lord, it seems like you're a thousand miles apart. Even so, we see that there's grace and compassion for you. And maybe you're in a spot where at times you, you hate God because you know that you're walking with this guilt and with this shame of I'm a failure. He'll never love me again. I'm not worth it. Redemptions for people who are better than me. There's all these lies that Satan really wants us to believe. And what's God's word saying? It's saying if that's you, we have this compassionate love of God where he's still going to pursue you even though you've been out in a wayward life doing your own thing. Like Judah, we check out, we get bored in our relationship with God, we get head over heels with our money, with pleasure, with fun. But the words of verses 6 and 7, this will be up on the screen, provide hope for us. It says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Return to the Lord that he may have compassion, for he will abundantly pardon. The takeaway this morning is the compassionate love of God calls us to come Home. If you're an unbeliever, consider the invitation. If you've never been following after Jesus before, this morning's an invitation to be in a relationship with God. You've been drinking waters that don't satisfy, they're spoiled. And Jesus is saying, I am living water that's going to keep giving you life over and over again. And so if you're an unbeliever, the call this morning is to confess before the Lord your sins, trusting in him so that you might be saved. And if you're a believer, I think there's three things that we can walk away with. Number one, can provide a lot of assurance if you're in a spot where you've been doubting your faith because you know you've been wayward. Doesn't mean that because you sinned yesterday that you couldn't be in a relationship with him still amidst that. He has this unconditional love for you. And so I believe this passage provides us assurance of faith for those of us who are believers. But I think it also With that committing adultery language, it also calls us to come clean and confess some things before the Lord, confess some things before others as well so that we can be in a place where we are walking close to Jesus day by day. And then finally, I think especially during this time of year, but during every time of the year, this passage is also helping us extend compassion to others with that same sort of love because the sad thing is most people don't know Jesus and as we experience this compassion of God in our own lives for our own mess for our own shame we every day get to be that to our friends and family so that they would maybe experience the love of Christ as well and so I'm going to pray for us and and we will end with that Lord, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that uh, as we open it up, we can be guided. We can be pushed back upon the path through understanding this knowledge that, that you've given us in your word, God. We can have true transformation in our life through the working of your spirit. And God, I pray that this passage would speak volumes to my heart and speak volumes. To this congregation, God, that we would see that, that no matter where we're at right now, whether we've never been following after you or we followed after you hard years ago or whether we're following after you hard now, God, that you have a message for us through covenant and this idea of compassionate love, God. And I pray that we would be a people and individuals that, that do not mark our relationship with you by going to church on Sunday. And God, I pray that we wouldn't let this ease of access to other gods and other interests be taken advantage of in our part, God, and I pray that we would look at a wedding ring and believe that that represents something, and would we not just reflect on maybe the relationship that we're in with another human on this earth, God, but would we reflect on the relationship that we as believers are in with you, and God, I pray that we wouldn't take it for granted, that we wouldn't set the ring down when we walk out, but that we would value this relationship that you've invited us into, God. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.